Welcome to my podcast, Patient First. I'm Dr. Naveen Samaya. I'm an Australian registered specialist plastic surgeon with 17 years of surgical experience. As the scientific convener of the Non-Surgical Symposium and a former president of the Australasian Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons, my goal is to help patients navigate the complex world of both surgical and non-surgical aesthetics, but by understanding what is evidence and what is not. This, I hope, is going to help them realize their aesthetic goals safely and in a manner consistent with good clinical practice. This podcast is an extension of that legacy. My aim is to empower you to make the most educated decisions about your choices concerning your face and body aesthetics and your safety. Each episode, I will be bringing to you cutting-edge science and exploring surgical procedures in a modern evidence-based approach to aesthetics. Plus, I will be inviting some esteemed guests in my podcast in the future to offer new perspectives. Tune in each week as together we explore the next frontier of surgical and non-surgical aesthetics. Welcome to Patient First. I am Dr. Naveen Samaya, your host. In today's episode, I delve into my journey in becoming a surgeon I am today and the foundational elements that constitute a patient-first approach to cosmetic enhancements. In sharing my story, my goal is to break down the misconceptions and the stereotypes that surround my line of work and take time to explain the core values that guide my work and this very podcast. In the interest of full disclosure, mandated by the Australian Health Regulators, my name is Dr. Naveen Samaya. I'm a registered medical practitioner and a specialist plastic surgeon. My specialist registration is in surgery and my field of specialty practice is plastic surgery. My APRA registration is MED 0011189889. I wish to advise listeners that parts of this podcast cover cosmetic surgery and cosmetic procedures and that information provided in this podcast is general in nature and does not constitute formal medical advice. Any surgical or invasive procedure does carry risks and we recommend that you seek a second consultation and a second opinion from an appropriately qualified practitioner. Surgical outcomes vary from patient to patient and outcomes experienced by one do not necessarily reflect what you might experience. With that disclosure, let's get into this podcast. When I was going through medical school, one of the first subjects you learn is anatomy. I found that fascinating, and I found the applications of anatomy was the foundation to what I could apply through the prism of surgery. So as an undergraduate, I began to understand the link between good anatomical knowledge and good surgical outcomes. This helped me when I went through my surgical training program, where I could always look up the applications of anatomy in surgery. And that's what fascinated me. Initially, and it's an interesting point, I actually wanted to become an orthopedic surgeon and had extensive exposure to the surgical specialty of orthopedics. But as time progressed and as my career progressed, I found that my true calling was in providing good 
reconstructive surgical services to change and make an impact into people's lives. People who had birth defects, people who had uh, traumatic uh, injuries, uh, cancer-related injuries, and obviously the anatomical changes that we see now due to the aging process. This is when I really found my purpose was in plastic surgery. And to then advance to the career of plastic surgery, I thought I'd commit myself to doing a full-time research project and a research degree. And this is when I decided to do a PhD. And interestingly, when I started looking into doing a PhD, the topic that I did my PhD on was on eyelid anatomy and eyelid reanimation following facial nerve paralysis. It brought me back to the core value of understanding very intricate anatomy at a level that you'd never see, which has now helped me significantly in my career as a plastic surgeon. My skills, I discovered early on, my skills, and for that matter, anyone's skills, are not worth it unless it's able to make a difference in people's lives. And that is really when you discover your purpose. Looking after the well-being and the best interests of my patients through ethical and evidence-based plastic surgical care is at the core and the heart of what I do. And as we have evolved as uh, practitioners in uh, plastic surgery, we have begun to realize that just clinical care is one aspect of care that we provide patients. We have to understand, and these are core values that guide me in my practice, is a respect for patients and respects for the patient's autonomy. In other words, we give them information and respect their choice. The process of informed consent plays a pivotal role in the execution of any kind of plastic surgical care. There's a level of cultural competence that we are in tune with. There is a continuity of care that is an essential part of good plastic surgery, not forgetting patient safety. At the core of all this, the practitioner has to be a person of integrity with a very high level of professionalism. And these are the core values that help me create an environment for the patients to trust me and also the community to trust me. And this is very, very, very important. I cannot stress this enough. My training pathway uh, through medicine, through postgraduate uh, medicine, through surgery, through surgical research, and through plastic surgical training has taken me through most of the world. I graduated in India, did some of my early surgical training in India, and then spent some time in the United Kingdom, and then did my PhD research in the United States. Then I came to Australia and I trained in three states, Tasmania and Hobart, Melbourne and Sydney, and then went back to the United States to train in advanced cosmetic and oculoplastic surgery. So I've had the privilege of working through multiple healthcare systems, that has provided an immense value to what I do, had the privilege of working under many eminent plastic surgeons and people of very experienced uh, critical thinkers, uh, leaders in their own field, and very collegial colleagues as well as well-meaning colleagues that have taken home a lot of value from. Now, it is very hard to highlight uh, one particular mentor, but every single person whom I work with, I've treated them with the respect that 
uh, a mentor deserves. We have learned different aspects from different mentors of mine. For example, you will learn surgical decision-making from one and you will learn surgical technique from another one. You will learn the process of uh, advocacy and collegiality and leadership from another person. You understand critical research methodology and critical thinking from another mentor of yours. So collectively, all people have one thing in common, they are ethical practitioners with a high level of integrity and the focus is on delivering good quality patient care every single time. And that's what we take on from all our mentors and we're very grateful and thankful for the people who have shared their knowledge, their expertise and their IP with us, not asking for anything in return. And that is what keeps the profession going by the pro bono time that people donate towards uh, training the next generation of specialist plastic surgeons. Speaking of mentorship, advocacy, leadership and education, I have been very fortunate to be a part of ASAPS, the Australasian Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons. I started off as being a um, board member and uh, through the ranks I moved up to become the president of ASAPS. The primary focus of ASAPS since 1978 has been to provide high-end education for existing specialist plastic surgeons so that they perform at the best level all times. We became the vehicle to bring in international speakers, organize scientific conferences so that the knowledge sharing can occur in a very free and unfettered way so that people could then take home the best practice, evidence-based, ethical practice back to the patients. So this is something that makes me very proud because it still highlights and supports the core belief system that I base my practice on, which is constant, continuous learning, commitment to education, and mentoring younger plastic surgeons. And on that note, I'm currently the chairperson or the scientific convener of the Non-Surgical Symposium. This is an academic outreach from ASAPS and this focus of the Non-Surgical Symposium is on cosmetic medicine and cosmetic procedures that are non-surgical. And we have been privileged that the community of cosmetic practitioners have supported the meeting for the last 12 years and we've had the proud distinction of having trained about 7,000 people through the uh, portals of this uh, meeting. Now part of that meeting is it is an open meeting so everyone is welcome if you are a healthcare practitioner involved in non-surgical aesthetics whether you're a doctor, you're a specialist surgeon, whether you're a plastic surgeon, you're a dermatologist, you're a dentist, you're a nurse practitioner, registered nurse, an enrolled nurse or a dermal clinician, you are welcome. And this is the energy that has powered this meeting. Yes, we tend to lead and guide and mentor, but the energy comes from the participants who provide the next level of learning. They soak in everything they want to take home from that meeting, and that meeting has gone from strength to strength. The ultimate beneficiary is the consumer or the patient in Australia who is now experiencing a very high level of clinical care thanks to the industry's commitment to continuous learning which they have put the hat in the ring and have given a wholehearted commitment to learn and learn and learn. This is what makes this industry so unique. Now if you look at formal training 
and you look at your career path, your formal training may be one year, two years, three years, or five years. Your career path can take 25 years, 35 years. So what you learn when you train provides the foundational material, the foundation pillars to ensure that your practice is ethical and evidence-based. But that depends on you committing to a continuous learning culture. And that's what makes a difference. And we are very proud to be a part of that. Dear listener, I say this um, to provide a bit of a context because yes, these meetings are important. But what we like to translate those meetings to is to say that I've based this practice on lifelong learning, the ability to mentor people and the ability to be mentored. This is the only way practitioners can gain access to both ethical and evidence-based knowledge that ultimately translates to good patient care. This is what I do in my practice and this is what all the participants who come to this meeting will learn and take home so that they can go and become more effective, more safer, more ethical practitioners who do nothing but evidence-based care. The Patient First podcast is going to be a amalgam of all of this, all that you need to know based on all what I teach, all that I learn, and all that the industry needs to know so that ethical and evidence-based care is front and center of every single thing we do. And this is what the podcast will focus on to give you that information. In plastic surgery, there are many memorable events, events that your skills have made a big difference to people's lives, livelihoods. It's life altering in some cases. Now, without mentioning any particular patient in detail, I'd like to share with you a couple of stories that highlight what life is all about in some parts of plastic surgery. So a few years ago, I went on an interplast charity trip to an overseas destination, along with a colleague of mine from Victoria, Dr. Halton. And two plastic surgeons go along with the team of that includes anesthetists as well as theater scrub nurses to go and perform uh, surgery for free in kids and adults who otherwise did not have access to plastic surgery. So while we were there, we came across a young boy, probably the age of eight or nine, who was involved in a house fire many years ago, and as a consequence had su sustained significant burn injuries to his leg mainly. As a consequence of that, his knees were bent, unable to be straightened, and his toes were curled in, unable to put his foot on the ground. So this kid was walking on crutches. He was seen by a visiting Australian who was there and who looked at him and organized him to be seen by the Interplus team when he got there. So we performed surgery to enable him to quote unquote uncurl his toes so that he could put his feet flat on the ground and also straighten his knee by a combination of tendon releases and flaps and grafts so that he could have a limb that was not only straight but also he could use his limb instead of his crutches. So these are things that make us very make me very happy because this is exactly what we were talking about. My skills fulfill a purpose, help to make a difference. And these things do bring a lot of joy to us. And this is kind of when we feel that being a plastic surgeon is really worth it. Another memorable case is a young girl, age 15, who had a very nasty 
arteriovenous malformation in her lip, which was a cluster of arteries and veins that go off on a tangent and continue to grow very fast. The traditional methodology of treatment was to excise as much of the tissue as possible, and that would have resulted in this girl having a lip that was scarred as well as small and aesthetically unacceptable. So we had to think outside the box and we came across a technique that we could do to minimize all those problems. And as a consequence, I was able to perform the surgery with very, very minimal scarring. Majority of my practice is aesthetic plastic surgery or cosmetic surgery, but I'm well trained in the full spectrum of reconstructive surgery that we use as plastic surgeons time and time again. Now, this helps me when I do interplast trips, we go to uh, an overseas destination to perform plastic surgery. Bulk of the skills that we use are reconstructive surgical skills with an aesthetic bent because you cannot perform reconstructive surgery without attention to aesthetic details of what it's going to look like because my primary aim is to ensure that that person has a result that allows the person to integrate into society better so we never lose sight of the aesthetic element of even a reconstructive procedure even that has to look aesthetic to help the patient. Uh, plastic surgery has been trivialized. Plastic surgery has been misunderstood because it's been portrayed through media as easy, it's frivolous, it's something that you can do on a lunchtime, the recovery is non-existent, the complications are not there. Nothing can be further from the truth. One of the worst things that I notice is uh, media portraying the scenario that if you want to have cosmetic surgery, you don't necessarily have to have it done by a plastic surgeon or plastic surgeons are not necessary to perform surgery. It is very important to realize that cosmetic surgery, the bulk of what I do is real surgery with real results, but at the same time, real complications. It has to be treated with utmost respect with the patients, with all the core principles that I use in my practice, starting from informed consent, uh, continuity of care, excellent aftercare, looking after the patient from the start of the journey to the end of the journey, starting from adequate information, addressing any questions, any doubts, and supporting the patient throughout the journey. This is real surgery because if you skip any of these safeguards that have been established and evidence-based, things do not go well for anybody. And we've seen this through maximum publicity through the media of the last two, three years, where we saw substandard care with patient harm as a routine. And this is something that we need to highlight. And this is something the podcast that I'm creating is going to highlight the importance of doing your research, looking after the statutory safeguards provided to you by the government in terms of the registration of the surgeon, the APRA regulations, and to ensure that you not only research well, but you should also choose well. And that's, it goes without saying that if you research well, you will choose well. My podcast is focused entirely on providing you information so that you can be directed very well to do your research, to make a better choice, a safer choice, so that you experience good outcomes and a pleasant journey when you go through your surgical procedure.
recently the government passed um, rules and uh, with supported legislation about the use of the title surgeon. Uh, it has categorically restricted the use of the title surgeon to three specialist groups. Number one, if you're a registered surgeon. Number two, if you're a registered ophthalmologist. Number two, if you're a registered specialist gynecologist. So anyone with the basic undergraduate degree who previously could use the title surgeon is no longer allowed to do that. That is a first and foremost safety step that has occurred this year. And as being a part of ASAPs and a sister organization, ASPS, we were very vocal in advocating for this level of safety to be put into place because we found that this title transparency was a very important and a critical feature that helped patients make good choices and have good and safe outcomes. And I'm very proud of being part of the society that advocated very strongly and ensured that this safety standard was ensured for the consumers who want to go ahead with cosmetic surgery. A plastic surgeon should have certain qualities which I think are very important to achieve the end point of respect for the patient, respect for the patient's autonomy, providing patient safety and creating a practice ethically with integrity and using evidence-based care. So at the heart of plastic surgeon should be a good, caring, empathetic doctor first. On top of that, it needs to be a good surgical decision maker and a good surgical technician, if I can use that word, who's technically skilled and brilliant. You need to have the ability to listen to the patient because good surgeons lead by listening. You need to have a good scientific mind to decide what is good, what is fluff, what is impactful, what is not. And ability and the integrity and the intelligence to integrate all of them together so that the final package that you provide the patient is an amalgamation of all these things put together. And that is the only way you can provide a good, safe outcome for the patient and meet the patient's needs. When you're looking for a plastic surgeon, I'd like you to consider what I call as the 535 rule. That is five years of training but it's 35 years of clinical practice. So what you learn in training provides a good foundation, but what you commit to learning in the 35 years of a career is what delivers good, safe outcomes for the patient. So a surgeon who's committed to continuous learning throughout his or her career will be able to bring you a good quality plastic surgical product that is ethical, and evidence-based to give you the best possible outcomes. So these are real patient benefits. And if you go through a plastic surgeon who is a member of a professional society, like the Australasian Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons or ASPS, you can assure yourself that the doctor or the plastic surgeon has committed to a career of lifelong learning that is only going to benefit you. For everyone who's considering either a cosmetic surgery procedure or a cosmetic procedure, there are a couple of key pointers or rules or guidelines that I would like to share. The first is to understand 
that the practitioners you encounter in Australia are trained to the highest possible standards and are capable of delivering excellent and outstanding results. The system of healthcare delivery in Australia is highly regulated, highly protected, and is very patient friendly with multiple buffer zones to protect you, your journey, your outcome, and ensure that your concerns are addressed if you do have concerns. We also have to also understand that certain products used in Australia have to be TGA approved and you cannot import a product that is not and use it if it is not TGA approved. So you have an additional layer of safety. Every single hospital or day surgery facility that is accredited for surgery has to go through an independent checklist of tick boxing. So there is no chance of having shortcuts or quality control breaches that can potentially impact your journey. Going overseas is a very tempting option to go overseas. And there are very good surgeons overseas too, excellent ones. The couple of things you need to factor in seriously if you're going overseas. Number one is the environment that where your surgery is performed overseas is different to the environment here. When I talk about environment, I'm not talking about weather. I'm talking about the microbiological environment, the bugs in the atmosphere. A tropical paradise will have different bugs growing in the environment than a cold climate country. Your resistance to those bugs is unknown. If you do have a bug that you get from an overseas location, you may not necessarily have the innate immunity and overseas due to the indiscriminate use of antibiotics. Drug resistant bugs are quite common and probably more common than in Australia. So these are the things that I would be very concerned of if I'm going overseas for surgery. The impact of the travel uh, has impact on your well-being because of the risk of clots in your leg that can potentially go into the lung and cause what is known as a pulmonary embolus. So these are the two main pillars that you have to base your decisions on if you're considering overseas surgery, because this is where I see the biggest risk factors are in the surgical journey, not necessarily in the surgical technique. Doing your research is a very important thing before you consider cosmetic surgery you will be flooded with uh, unsolicited uh, information through social media algorithms if you type in, if you search something like cosmetic surgery. These are not necessarily the best places to do research because most of these uh, feeds are curated, uh, sometimes not authentic, sometimes uh, exaggerated claims. So you need to be mindful of that. The Australian health regulator has imposed guides and guidelines for cosmetic surgery and for cosmetic procedures about false and misleading advertising starting from the use of the right title. My recommendations are that if you are going to do your research about cosmetic surgery, a very good website would be one of the society's websites. In Australia, it will be the ASAPS, the Australian Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons, and the Australian Society of Plastic Surgeons. These are two excellent websites where the content is designed to provide information, but not necessarily sell a procedure. So they will spell it as it is meant to be said to you. 
The other good place to do research, this is my one of my personal favorites, is a website called realself.com. Now, this is based in America, but has patient reported outcome measures from all over the world. Now, patient reported outcomes are a very important part of quality control, and they give you insights into how each patient has experienced that particular procedure. Now, you cannot say that just because a patient had a good result in country A, I will have a good result or vice versa, but it gives you a general trend and they're very good in curating patient reported outcomes as a part of their uh, mix what they provide. In addition, they also have an opportunity for you as the consumer to ask a question to experts who can then write what they feel based on your question and then answer you so you get a good number of opinions and club that with good research that is reported by the patients you'll have a good mix of knowledge to then make a very informed decision whether to go ahead or not go ahead which practitioner to choose which practitioner not to choose and then once you do that narrow it down to two or three practitioners in your field in the area where you live and have a consultation we recommend strongly that having one consultation alone is not adequate the regulators are now mandated that you need to do more than one consultation but we'll also recommend you see consult with maybe two maybe three practitioners and then you get a very thorough 360 view of the problem the solution the journey the possible outcomes and that's when you're in a very commanding position to make the choice in an informed way. When you make a decision to go ahead and have cosmetic surgery, what you really need is lots of information, lots of time to process that information, information from multiple sources, which you can curate, collate, comprehend, and then make a decision. Unfortunately, this cannot be done if you are in a hurry or a rush to go ahead with surgery after seeing the first practitioner. I know this is a impost on your time, impost on a cost, we acknowledge that. But ultimately, what we'd like to advocate for is a very informed choice, a very considered decision, and with the time to rethink your options like a cooling off period, because it is well-known fact that you will not retain 100% of the information given to you at the time of the consultation, you will take home a little bit. That's why sometimes we advocate if you want to bring a friend in for a consultation, it allows you to have another person who's also listening in. Coming back for a second consultation has a great advantage both for you, the patient, as for the surgeon, because it helps us to reiterate and recap and reinforce what the critical elements are that will help you to make an informed choice. So yes, the process can be cumbersome, but ultimately if you're looking for a safe, good outcome and a smooth sailing journey, I think these are essential steps in achieving that. And this is what we would strongly advocate for every single patient, every single time. The most important part of any consultation, it's meant to be a two-way street with no hierarchy. In other words, the doctor doesn't know more than you, and the doctor doesn't talk down to you. It is an even and a level playing field. And this is a very important concept. I think patients sometimes tend to be a bit cautious when they approach a doctor. 
but I think you're in control, you're in command. You should open up the discussion about very specific things that matter to you and matter to your results that you want to experience. The first and the most important thing is to ask the surgeon or the practitioner about his or her training. That is a very legitimate question to ask. And I think all practitioners and surgeons who are comfortable and confident and have nothing to hide will happily volunteer that information to you. It is also widely available in every kind of digital presence, like the website will have all those details, but you're welcome to ask the surgeon again. How many of these procedures have you done? How long have you been doing this for? Perfectly reasonable questions, and we welcome those questions. Have you had any complications? And I think it's a marker for humility is marker for good surgeon, because if you can acknowledge that things, things can go wrong, and you have the skills to fix when they go wrong, you've got the personality and the skill set and the necessary networks to make sure that your patient has been taken care of throughout the journey with the personal level of care that is a practitioner that you want to be with. You do not want to be with a practitioner who says, I've never had a complication, which is not true. You shouldn't be with a practitioner who does not uh, recommend uh, the necessary safety standards to say like, uh, for example, if the existing standard of care is to have an overnight stay, if a practitioner tells you that no, you don't need to stay overnight, then alarm bells should be ringing because these are the safety standards meant to protect you and nobody else. It is also okay to ask the doctor to show you before and after photographs of representative patients. So for example, if you're 25 years of age as opposed to 45 years of age, and if your skin type is X or Y, it is very reasonable to ask, have you done many of my skin type or of my age? And the doctor will say yes or no, or he might or she might say, that is not relevant in this context because of scientifically proven reasons of one, two, and three. But that is a very honest and open discussion that is very healthy. And I remember one of my mentors who I work for in the United States telling me that if you cannot build a good relationship with the patient at the first consultation, and you cannot get a smile from the patient the first consultation, it is not gonna happen after the operation. So it's very important to establish that rapport with the patient and so that patients then have trust in you and you can also trust the patient to do the right thing and follow the instructions that you're given. Ultimately, this is a team approach to give you the best possible results because we as plastic surgeons, and I in particular, I'm very passionate about what I do. I'm very proud of what I do. I take results very personally and it is my interest to give you nothing but the best possible outcomes. Talking about challenges in my professional career, there are plenty. They come from expected sources and unexpected sources and sources that you never think you're coming. In other words, you technically have to be aware, be prepared and have a very logical way of dealing with these challenges and obviously use scientific methodology and evidence-based uh, arguments. Throughout my training and throughout my career, I've had the privilege to work in multiple countries, multiple continents and having had to interact with top professionals who are at the top of the game. This has taught me a lot. And every single time when I encountered a patient who has had a substandard outcome, it was always the fact that particular practitioner put patient-centric practice second and self-centric practice first. And this is unacceptable. 
you always have to put, and I always do that, to put the patient-centric approach as the fundamental focus of what we do in our practice day in and day out. That is why I have named my podcast as Patient First, because that is why we are all practicing as doctors. We care for patients. We look after patients. And that is the exact reason I want to add that gravitas to my podcast by calling it Patient First. While cosmetic surgery does deal with the obvious, as a plastic surgeon, I'm very aware of the psychological challenges that such decisions will create. Sometimes we not only have to support patients in their plastic surgical journey, I also make sure that they're well supported in the psychological part that accompanies the plastic surgical journey. All of us are aware that in the on the 1st of July, the Australian regulators brought about new guidelines that emphasized the psychological aspects that need to be ticked before a patient can embark on cosmetic surgery and cosmetic procedures. So now it is formal that every single patient who comes and sees me for a consultation gets formally assessed for any underlying psychological condition through a questionnaire that is standardized. And obviously that will be collated along with any kind of history provided by the patient or provided by the patient's general practitioner who would then refer the patient to me for a cosmetic surgical procedure. If we find that the patient's best interests are served not by plastic surgery, then my recommendation is that I would refer the patient back to the general practitioner or her or his specialist psychological practitioner to optimize health before embarking on cosmetic surgery. We do have in the laws, in the guidelines, a cooling off period and a second consultation introduced just to give patients time to think about the decision so that they don't make a decision in a hurry. All plastic surgeons, including myself, have been practicing the psychological assessment over and over again over many, many years. When it comes to cosmetic surgery choices and journey, we acknowledge that patients may have a psychological state that may be appropriate or in some cases inappropriate for cosmetic surgery. As a plastic surgeon, I am well aware of it and we've had the privilege of having had retraining workshops through ASAPs and other scientific meetings where this issue has been highlighted numerous times so that we have taken it on board and I have incorporated this into my practice. It is very pleasing to note that on the 1st of July, the Australian health regulators have made this mandatory to ensure patient safety. We do get assessments through a formal psychological assessment at the time of the consultation. And I corroborate that with the information volunteered by the patient, along with the information I can gather from the referral from the general practitioner to create a analysis to see if this patient is suitable or not suitable. And we manage it accordingly. If the patient is not suitable, we would say politely, I need to refer you back to the referring practitioner so that your primary concern is addressed before you 
come and see me for your surgical concern. And this is a very good way of practicing cosmetic surgery because it not only ensures an ethical, evidence-based care, it also ensures that you're putting the patient's interest front and center. And this is what I do in my practice. With years of experience in cosmetic surgery, I'm very aware of the need for emotional and psychological support in the lead up to the surgery in terms of preparation and also in the post-operative phase when the patient has had the results. These are two critical elements. We acknowledge that and I identify that at the first consultation and give patients multiple guidelines so that the patients feel well supported. At the heart of it is an open line of communication to me that anytime a patient wants to ask a question, they have the access, whether it is via email or a phone, and we will acknowledge those questions and I personally answer every single question. When the patient comes in for a second consultation, this is highlighted, this is acknowledged, and I will then ensure that the patient has considered that and has adequate support services in place. The fact of how to deal with your result immediately in the first post-operative day, the second post-operative day is a very important consideration because you go from looking like A to B within a matter of few hours. So I counsel the patients and tell patients, this is what you're going to look like on day one. This is what you're going to look like in day two. And here are the things that I think you should do to make sure that your journey is safe and supported and gets you to your final outcome. And I think this level of care, this level of openness, this level of communication is kind of critical to support patients. And this is what I do in my practice. Years of experience in plastic surgery has taught me that uh, surgery is not just about the physical results. The emotional roller coaster ride that accompanies that is actually important to acknowledge and support the patient. And that's what I do in my practice, both before, during and after surgery. Sharing information, maintaining open lines of communication, prompt responses, supporting the patient throughout the journey is what we do in our practice. This is basic, but it is important. When you go through a choice for cosmetic surgery, everyone is focused on a before and after. Focus to read between the lines. The read between the lines is, do you have enough emotional support? Do you have enough log logistic support? Have you factored in who's going to drop your children? Who's going to pick your kids up? Who's going to do this and do that? Your days are busy. Everybody's lives are busy. And these are things that make it smooth sailing or a bumpy ride. And our job as professionals and my job as a plastic surgeon is to ensure that I have not missed a single aspect of things that can derail your journey and give you support mechanisms, information, directions to manage it very well. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This marks the end of the first episode of the Patient First podcast. I'm delighted you could join me. I hope your time was worth it. As we move from this podcast that was primarily about a patient-centric approach, the why, and hope you got to learn a little bit about my practice philosophy 
as well as my approach to cosmetic surgery with a little bit of safety and standards and understanding how your safety could be best maintained. In the upcoming episode, I will be discussing and talking about uh, compassionate plastic surgery and provide you with information to empower your decision making and your choices. I look forward to seeing you there. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Patient First. I hope you found this podcast useful. Remember, I'm always listening. And if you have any questions you would like me to answer on the show or upcoming episodes, please connect with me via my clinic website. Thank you.